Hello, and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Doman. And this is episode 128. So, Parker, what you been up to this week? Uh, so, we finished the MEP shitty add-on, or SAO. Um, <laughs> it uses a uh, EFM8 Sleepy B. Uh, it's actually the same one that we use on the Mac Watch, the mm-hmm. EFM8 SB10. F2G, which is like has like no memory or anything. It's like uber, uber cheap. I think yeah. it's like 30 cents in quantity or something like that. Um, and it's got 15 addressable channels for LED blinking, all that good stuff. So basically all the I.O. goes to blinking LEDs. <laughs> um, and I think it's it might be the only shitty add-on that actually has a microcontroller on it. That's pretty sweet. Is there a standard for how much power a shitty add-on can draw? No. No. <laughs> Just whatever, <laughs> however much you want. It's yeah, all you I did limit all the LEDs to like 8 milliamps. Okay. Um, it's got more than 15 LEDs on it because I have like three LEDs on one line. So like an area lights up, so to speak. I think it's got like 20-something LEDs on it. 21. What, is, is there a situation where all of them can blink at the same time? Sure. Why not? Uh, okay, so you could. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know if you had already uh, uh, worked that out yet. Yeah, yeah, I I can't remember what the exact number was. Uh, I I guess I was just wondering because you could have uh, a pretty significant current draw. It was only like 180 milliamps is what I calculated out. With, like with the microcontroller running, and all the LEDs turned on without PWM. And I'm like, that's not a lot. I hope. <laughs> I hope. Yeah. <laughs> Because there's you, no standard. You just make a <laughs> shitty add-on and that all it does is drain your battery. Big power resistors. <laughs> it just gets hot. That's it. <laughs> it just gets hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that could be the bagel bagel pin. Ah, oh, the bagel add-on. It just yeah. gets hot. It's just a ring that gets hot. <laughs> it's just a ring that gets hot. <laughs> I like um, that. Unfortunately, um, DEF CON for the MEP was canceled, though. Uh, um, so we won't be building the shitty add-on, or Steven and I won't be going to the map. Um, so I guess I'll just release the shitty add-on so people can just make it. Yeah. Um, if you hurry, you can actually probably still... I think it only costs like $30 in singles. Um, and it qualifies for the uh, MacFab 10-day, so you can get it in before DEFCON uh kicks up so well well cheers here's to all of our defcon buddies who yep. will be there we'll be there yeah we'll probably do an episode well we will be doing an episode when defcon is going on so yeah maybe maybe someone will make one with the macfrap 10 day and take a picture of it and it'll be like we were there oh so so you've been <laughs> you actually spent quite a bit of time working on the aesthetics of the show oh, yeah. on yeah it looks really good i, I, I like it, your description of it though well, okay, so um, a long time ago, gosh, I don't, I don't even remember how long ago Parker made a uh, logo for the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, and mm-hmm. it was the the Macrofab logo that's tilted on a forty five, and he he put a, a pair of headphones over over it. Well, he decides to make um, the shitty add on take that same imagery and turn that into a PCB, but with the gold and red kind of color scheme that you went with it ends up looking like the magafab logo that has hamburgers on either side of it with a curved yeah. hot dog connecting yeah, curved them, connecting them. <laughs> and it's funny because all this week parker's been showing me progress of it and every single time he makes a change to it it doesn't seem to like not become hamburgers and hot dogs it just it always looks like hamburgers and hot dogs yeah when we first when I first designed it you were like that looks like i'm like yeah it does i wonder if i can change it to make it not look like that impossible now no it yeah, always no, it's looks like, like hamburgers. It's, it's etched into your memory and we and, and and we tried different things like um uh hatching patterns and and different ways of using silk screen and it just makes the hamburger buns look like sesame seed buns you know it's like you just can't get away from it yeah um, so, so yeah I'll, I'll release it now we'll probably build one so it, at least one exists and i'll have to finish up the code the code's almost done um and we'll just open source the code. You know, I'm, I might I might have to pay for one myself and have it shipped up here so I can have a, 
a, a hamburger PCB. <laughs> hamburger PCB. Yeah. Um, I guess what we should do is just it's if we can add a little tiny like coin cell to it, like one of the little tiny ones. Like yeah. was it forty one one or whatever it is? Yeah. Um, yeah. A little tiny one, and then it could just power itself up. Mm. It's getting less shitty. Yeah, less shitty. It's a full-fledged... All, all it needs to be in a full-fledged badge is a power source. You know, basically what you did was you just recreated the macro watch on a different format, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, similar to that. And then I got some updates on both Jeeps, the red Jeep and the wagon. So when I was working on the Jeep over the weekend, I was doing electrical work on it, finishing up... Like, all the auxiliary stuff is almost done. Like, it looks great. Like, all the looms are perfectly done. Um, I got, you know, engine harness tape so it won't melt in the in the engine compartment. How, how, many, how many wires do you think you've run? Oh, like, enough to, like, wire up the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> how many wires were on the Titanic? As many as in my Jeep. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> So I was I was finishing up the wiring harness and I was one of the last parts was like finishing up the the loom that's on the stock harness. Mm-hmm. So I'm redoing that and I I pull the what's called the PCM which is the power control module in the Jeep. I think other brands call it the ECU or ECM mm-hmm. engine control module and one of the little plastic retaining tabs snaps off. And I'm like Fuck. <laughs> it's like you know, nineteen year old plastic is yeah. like just disintegrated, and so I'm like, man. And I've I've bought like connect like old connect or new old stock connectors for this yeah. Jeep before, and they're never inexpensive. They're always like fifty bucks. Yep. Like it's never more than that or under that. It's always like fifty bucks. I'm like, crap, I, like fifty bucks right there just for that little stupid piece of plastic. <laughs> Come on, you don't want a Bubba in in the place. I, well, I was seeing what other people do, and people like zip tie the connector to the the engine control module. So that's actually how it is now. It's zip tied. Okay. But I'm like, ugh, I did all that work on the electrical just to have this, you know, because this is like the last of it. <laughs> of course, right? it had to be the very last thing you do. Uh, and so I started looking for like alternatives, right? Like someone might still be making these connectors. You know, who knows? So I start looking around. And I found on eBay, a guy was selling brand new connectors, like a whole rebuild kit for a Jeep harness, Mm -hmm. right? And it had the three connectors for the PCM, like has all the pins and all that stuff, but he wanted a hundred bucks for it. Oh, of course. Which is actually a pretty good price because if you bought the new old stock stuff, it'd be 150 for all three connectors. Because it's $50 per, right? Yeah, $50 (laughs) per. And so I'm like, well, I only need one of them. And so I like zoomed in on the picture and the part numbers are silk screened onto the connectors Ugh. and typed that into Google. And lo and behold, TE makes these really like they still make them. They still make them. And so the part number is for those that want to know four dash one, four, three, seven, two, nine, zero dash five. And the other two are the same number, but instead of dash five, it's dash six and dash seven. And so I ordered, I think the one I needed was Dash 7, so I ordered it for Mauser, and it was like $13. I, I, I'm, I'm going to Mauser now, because I, I want to see what this looks like. Or it's like $16, something like that. That'd be funny if on Mauser it was 50 bucks. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Oh, they don't even have an image or a data sheet for it on Mauser. It just says that they have two, 209 of them in stock. So if you just, if you Google image search that part number, you'll yeah. see what they look like. Okay. It's actually, those are not the right images to that part. Yeah. This looks like a, like a 25 pin thingy. Is that what it is? There was a, there was a customer um, when I was at working at MacroFed that, that had a product that used like, gosh, a handful of these kinds of connectors, these multi-pin, mm-hmm. you know, waterproof kind of things. And I did um, I did wiring diagrams for them, and I remember that just being an absolute pain in the ass drawing <laughs> drawing these things up. Just because you've got so many... You, you have to create... Uh, inside of an enclosure, you have to create a wiring diagram that goes to this. And then outside, you have to create another wiring diagram, and you have to keep it all together in your head. Like purple goes to purple, mm-hmm. and purple was pin five on this connector, but it's pin 
22 on that connector, you know, oh, it's just, that'll make her go cross-eyed real fast. Here, Here's one that actually has a picture that you can see. Right. Yeah, that's it. Let me send that out to you. Cool. Oh, look at that. You even embedded the link. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 I see what this is. Yeah, this is, uh, yeah, these are those super multi-pin connect. Does this come with all the um, pins installed? In it, or do you have to put those in yourself? No, the pins are separate. Oh, okay, so you have to crimp each wire and then plug it in? Well, yeah, but I don't need to replace the wires. I just have to replace the housing. Okay, so you you just yank them out and put them in the new one. Yeah, at Saint, so yank one out, put it in the new one, yank the next one out, put it in the new one, so I don't lose where these wires go. Oh, yeah, you see, <laughs> you, you're, you're a lot smarter than me. I, I was thinking about yanking them all out and then being like, shit, what holes do they go in? <laughs> <laughs> that would be bad yeah, yeah 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 cool so there's that's that so you're also messing around with your uh carburetor right yeah the wagon since it's it, it's a carburetor and it was one of the last carbureted engines or vehicles you could buy in the states i think there was one other one that like went out of production at, at the same year which was like 1991 and this was 1990 right this is a 1990 but the wagon was sold up to 91 okay um so i rebuilt the carburetor thinking that it was a car uh, there was a carburetor issue when you when you basically mash the throttle from idle it just dies completely like it doesn't <laughs> even attempt to run or anything it just goes dead and so i'm like okay it's probably a carburetor something gummed up in like the power valve or something right um, so I took it apart, clean it, and I didn't, I don't find a lot of gunk, but it's obvious that like it hasn't been cleaned in a while. Um, and the big thing was when I was reassembling it, I found a crack in the isolator that goes in between the intake and the carburetor. Mm -hmm. And that was probably creating a massive vacuum leak. Right. And so I'm like, okay, so I got a new isolator, put it all together. Now it runs like crap. <laughs> and I think it's because it was tuned with a crack in the isolator. And so now I have to retune the engine. If that's the case, then it was probably tuned wide open, basically. Basically, yeah. Yeah, because it's just trying to drink as much as possible. Yeah. And so wow. I have to retune the... Um, not the carburetor, but I have to retune the, the timing, basically the distributor. Right. And so I've actually never done that on a old car like this before mm -hmm. with a mechanical and vacuum advance. So I'm going to be learning how to use a timing gun and all that stuff so that's gonna be fun so while i'm waiting for like all those parts to show up so i can actually like fix all the timing and stuff basically i'm gonna also go through like all the vacuum hoses and like replace them all because they're all you know at least 20 years old now mm -hmm. so i've been working also on the the power steering pump because the power steering box was leaking like crazy all over the place yep so i bought a remanufactured one and I dropped it last night, and then I was taking the power steering pump out, which is on the engine, uh, to remove the hoses. And then I looked at it, and it was leaking too <laughs> from its front seal. And so I'm like, okay, I probably should just buy a re rebuild kit for this and rebuild it. And I looked, the rebuild kit's like 15 bucks, and you can buy a brand new one for like 25 or a remanufactured <laughs> one already. So I'm like, $10 in labor is like, it's it's like uh, a third of a beer. Yeah, third of a beer. So I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna order a remanufactured pump. And so I'm waiting on that. But the big thing is trying to remove the pulley from the power steering pump because the pulleys on these things are like impossible to get now. Ah. Uh -huh. And so I had to remove this one without destroying it. So I went to AutoZone and I rented a power steering pump removal. Like, it's designed to remove this particular style of pulley. Wow. Um, and basically what it is, it has a... Because it's a, it's a friction fit pulley. Mm -hmm. And so on the, on the shaft, it's actually got internal threads. And so you thread into it instead of, like, a jaw that normally goes around the pulley and it pulls out. This actually threads into it. And then it has a collar that goes around the, the pulley shaft because it has, like, a... A uh, groove cut into it for the puller to sit. Yeah, and then that is what pulls it out. And you just like crank on it until it pops off. 
Or you break the pulley, either one. <laughs> we want to, until one of those happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and if it breaks, it's kind of like, oh, now I need to go to a junkyard and find one. Because <laughs> oh, no sucks. one sells them. Yeah, and you yeah, can't yeah. really like... And people just snatch them up on eBay immediately, like for oodles of money. Sure. So it's like, it's almost at the point where I'm like, you know, it might be cheaper to design one in CAD and like get it made. Get it machined somewhere. Or 3D printed out of some, you know steel or something hmm. sinistered steel oh that's a cool band name sinistered <laughs> sinistered I, I, what, what's that, what's that process called centered 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 steel i like sinister sinister yeah it's like it's like sinister. evil steel yeah evil steel that's a good band name yeah that's that <laughs> <laughs> you want to you want to hear some cheesy heavy metal go to youtube and type in uh, uh medieval steel uh that is some cheesy metal but it's kind of awesome it's very sinister steel sinister steel (laughs) (laughs) what was it sinister snips is the evil crab from futurama sinister snips yeah you don't remember that uh is that one of the laser later seasons uh it's this it's this it's the episode where they all have that like cream that turns them into superheroes oh yeah Yeah, no, I, I remember what you're talking about. Yeah, that's good. And then Bender, Bender's superpower is getting a beer from across the room with his extendo arms. Right. <laughs> 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 oh. So yeah, that's what I've been working on. Cool. Two Jeeps and and add-on. I'm still waiting on the uh, that thermal couple... No, Thermister. Thermister yeah. board. I think that comes in this week. Well, you know, other than um, rewiring the Wagoneer, I'm I'm interested in seeing what kind of electronics are eventually going to make their way into the Wagoneer because we all know it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. Because um, yeah, actually, we've talked about this before um, a couple of days ago. So what I'm going to do on that is because right now it's all there's no computers at all in this thing. Right. It hasn't been Parkerized yet. No, it, ha- it has no, no microcontrollers, nothing in it. So, like, basically, like, if you want to roll down the window, the switch is connected in series to the motor. Yeah. Which is fine. That's actually how I wired up my new, my, my red Jeep. My red Jeep's wired that way. The thing is, I wired my red Jeep with all waterproof connectors and stuff. Uh, yeah. So, so nothing can corrode, in theory. But 30 years is not kind on non-waterproof leaf switches, basically. That's what they used. Um, and so what I want to do is rewire everything in the Jeep. Because first of all, the Jeep's, uh, the, the wagon's wiring is just horrendous. It's like you, you cut off some insulation and the copper is black. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'll just go like six more inches up the lead. Cut, black. Like, it, it's garbage. Um, everything, the insulation on it's shot. And so I'm going to rewire everything, but to prevent the hazard of fires happening with these really crappy switches, because you can't replace the switches because they're part of it as the aesthetic of the uh, insides of the Jeep is the match, you know, the, that style switch. Mm-hmm. I guess I should take a picture of it for the for the podcast. Um, so what I was going to do is just run low voltage or low current through it to what what modern cars do is they have what's called a body control module that goes inside the cab and then all the switches go to it and then it controls all the motors. It's like a distribution box. Yeah. Yeah. And the the thing about that is your switches are now low, low power switches and you can do awesome things. Like if you just touch a button, it can automate things like in modern cars. If you just touch like window down, you don't have to hold it. The move the window down, you just touch it once, and if you tap it again, it stops. That's the stuff I'm going to do with this. And I'm probably going to use like a prop, a parallax propeller to mm-hmm. do all the software because that's just going to be the fastest way for me to, to develop it. Basically, it puts some level of smarts between the actuator that you're pressing and the actual thing that's happening. Thing that happens, yeah. yeah. And I, I want to put in like a uh, remote um, door unlocking. Yeah. It's all has all auto locks and everything, but there's no, you know, transceiver for it. Sure. Um, and the main one is actually the back window because to get into the back um, trunk area or the 
the tailgate actually, is you have to lower the window all the way down, then you can open it up. And so it kind of sucks when you're like carrying your bags of groceries and you're like, oh, I got to put these down so I can put my key in it, hold the key as it goes down, and then undo it. So I'm like, okay, if I just had a button I can press and then it lowered it. Well, and that was originally intended so that you don't bring it down and bash the glass on something, right? Exactly, yeah. 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 So so when it goes down, it, it fully extends into the tailgate. Yeah, you can't see the glass anymore. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. And so that that's going to be the end goal for the wiring on the on the wagon is it's a lot more ambitious than the than the red jeep was. But again, the red jeep was kind of like a prototype, I guess, for this kind of stuff. <laughs> so 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 when are you going to weld up a roll cage for the wagon here? <laughs> uh, never. <laughs> <laughs> if I roll that thing, that something bad has happened. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a big issue. Yeah, it's a lot lower to the ground. It's almost like a, just a big station wagon is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So It's a fully enclosed El Camino. Yeah, actually, it's pretty close <laughs> to it, too. <laughs> cool. The Grande Camino Wagoneer. <laughs> Shaking red. <laughs> okay, Steve, what have you been working on? <laughs> not, a, uh, not a Jeep. Um, but my version of a Jeep, I suppose. Uh, so I've got a, a little bit of an update for the uh, Mew Tracer uh, project that I've been working on. Uh, two weeks ago, I said I would have some more stuff done on that. Uh, you, know, you know, we should ask the original creator how to pronounce this. We should ask him to come on the podcast. Ah, yeah. Uh, like except he's in uh, Denmark. I think Denmark. So it would be weird timing, but um, that'd be fine. But however, when 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 all of this is said and done, or maybe even before, I do want to. Um, I am going to package this all up and send it off to him as sort of a thank you because he was the original designer, and I just wanted to say, hey, you know what you made was really cool. I added a whole bunch of useless add-ons to it that make it kind of cooler. Mm-hmm. So I guess I guess I'm creating a shitty add-on for his product. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so. I ordered a couple parts for it. Um, first of all, the enclosure has arrived for it. Uh, and the enclosure was that Hammond box we discussed in a previous podcast where it's just basically a steel box with uh, walnut edges to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so It looks really nice. It's classy. It's classy. It's expensive. It's actually a lot nicer than any of the pictures that you like of like of on Hammond's website. What you sent me looks so much better. Yeah. Yeah. It looks a lot better. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll post that picture of it. Um, so, so that's, that's arrived and it's, it's an overpriced box for what it is, but, um, you know, to like, just get a box that looks nice right out of the box. Basically, I'm happy to go with that. Um, so I'm in the middle of the layout with this and even with the box that I chose, things are pretty tight. I'm, I'm shoving a lot of signals and a lot of crap into into a, a small area. So the layout is is moving forward like 40 PCBs and like 32,000 relays. Something like that, pretty close. It's actually I think it's 47 relays, something like that. Uh some, something in that ballpark. Uh yes, somewhere in that range. And then and then a, a four-layer board plus another big two-layer board. Uh, with a lot of a whole lot of components on it, so uh, but there's also nine seven segment displays and nine encoders with switches, and um, I on the STM chip that I have on there, I I successfully used every single pin on the chip. Like I didn't need any more, and I didn't need any less. So uh, it optimization, was like yes, yeah, super perfect. But I'm also realizing what sucks about that is now I have to get. A signal to every single pin on the on the microcontroller, which <laughs> kind of sucks in layout world, um, especially because a lot of them are just like it's an encoder and it just has to go right to it. So you know, hopefully, I can pull this off without a whole lot of sneaky sneaky traces. You know, do it mm. like logically and laid out well. But uh, yeah, I, if you if you take a look at the MEP shitty add-on, yeah. it's got a lot of good routing in it. 
Oh, I'll, I'll, I will look at it for um, inspiration. And when I'm laying out my board, I'll think about hamburgers and hot dogs the whole time. <laughs> I think about that anyways. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no, the, the enclosure arrived. And actually today, um, the power supply for it is supposed to arrive. So um, this thing does not have an internal power supply. It, it relies on an external supply. And it was originally designed to work on a laptop power supply, a 19-volt uh, switcher. So I just went to Amazon and bought whichever 19-volt switcher has the highest rating. And um, I'm just going to clip the end off of it and put a 2.1-millimeter um, barrel jack on it. Gotcha. Uh, because I got a, I got a little barrel jack input on, uh, on the enclosure. So th- that'll arrive today. And with the power supply and the box, I can start thinking about mm, a little bit more of the layout of how I want it to look from the outside. I've already basically determined where i want everything and 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 really the the decisions on where every part goes was a lot less of like an aesthetic thing and more about like well this is the only place it can go you know uh, kind of situation but i did try to make it look logical and the leds are spaced evenly so you know it just there's not like random leds all over the place and things um so the cool thing is uh at, at work um, I have access to a Tormach 770 mil and a Mamaki UJF-3042 printer, which is basically a industrial inkjet printer. Um, so between the two of those, I can mill the the box and I can print in full color basically whatever logo or information I want on the front of it. So it's actually, I expect that's probably going to take the longest time is like figuring out what I want the outside to look like. Cause I want like the box looks classy. I want it to the, 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 the text and everything to look classy also. Yeah. yeah. So you can use like Sanskrit font. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, comic comic sans. sans, just nothing but comics. No, it's actually awesome. on the bottom of it. You need to put comic sans. Like this was built by Stephen Craig and like, and all that stuff is like in, in comic sans. Uh, I will think about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's okay, a hard. So no, I have, a, I have a gripe about that. Uh, that Hammond box, uh, the part number that you have on, um mauser for it is purely the box and the two wooden ends the the bottom plate is a complete separate part number that you have to buy separately and the screws that screw in the bottom plate are a completely separate part number like i I can i can understand offering them separately like if you just need one or the other it's always nice but yeah that being the only way to get him, and 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 the, the the you're right. So the thing is, the main gripe that I have with all of this is buying things separately makes total sense. If this was purely just a steel box, I could get that. But this box is clearly intended to be like it's it's steel and wood. You don't find that every day on on Mauser. The only people who are ever going to buy this steel and wood box are going to be like goofy audio guys like me you know like it has that kind of stink to it uh and so like <laughs> there's no point in selling them as separate parts like every single person who buys this box is gonna buy the bottom for it so just make it one package like i that that i don't understand but you know may, you know maybe I, i'm not a sales rep for hammond so maybe hammond is knows some secret and there's some a whole bunch of people who buy them separately and do them for whatever reason but it just doesn't it doesn't sound right to me well i i agree too it's like um when i was slightly different problem i had was when i was looking at those bulkhead connectors Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we ever talked about it on the podcast. We can talk about it next week, I guess. Was like just finding what parts I needed to make this system work. Yeah. You know? Because you, cl- you go on TE's website and they're like, parts that are in this family. And you click it and like, you have no idea what you're doing. Like, there's no, there just needs to be a list of like, this is what, like an exploded diagram of a connector. Ooh, that'd be awesome. Oh, that'd be nice. <laughs> Especially for people are like, oh, a connector is like one thing, like a barrel jack or whatever. But like, once you look at this connector that I'm trying to use, it's like, it's got like eight parts to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So, so, so in, um, when we retire, we need to go start a connector company and just do everything right. (laughs) (laughs) Because, because we pretend like we know what we're doing. (laughs) Exactly. Someone would still gripe about it. PSC. Oh, PSC? 
Yeah, I like yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> PSC. So, so actually, uh, so so one other thing on the on the micro tracer. You know, actually, I have the power supply or the schematic pulled up right here. Um, I found so so uh, the, a, a good chunk of the circuit works on twelve volts, or a good chunk of the circuit that I'm adding to his uh, circuit works on twelve volts. Um, but that twelve volts goes to supply the relays. And it goes to supply um, the seven-segment displays. And I worked out like a worst-case scenario and a, uh, where, you know, a, a worst case with the relays is 11 of them are on at once. There's not a situation where you'd have more than 11 on. But um, 11 on that. And then if you take the seven-segment displays, and let's just pretend every LED was on with the seven-segment displays, and I'm not doing uh, PWM on those i was just having them on then i could pull 840 milliamps in that situation off of the 12 volt bus well i'm i have 19 volts coming in from the laptop power supply and this laptop's power supply is has way more than enough current to handle that it can it can juice out that much but getting 19 down to 12 volts at that current if using a linear regulator you just you're dumping a ton of heat at that point. Yeah. And so I actually spent a good well, it's almost it's almost like 7 watts. It's yeah. like 6 watts. Yeah, it's it's yeah, right. And uh if you've ever experienced at even 1 watt of heat, it's a lot of heat. It it gets hot real fast. So 6 watts I was like in a small case like this, how am I ever going to get rid of that much heat? Uh so I said, you know what? Screw it. I'll go look for a switcher uh because i'm only powering relays and i'm only powering leds uh so extra noise from a switcher isn't going to bother me at all even if it's a good chunk of noise you won't even see it on an led uh and the relay is not going to care so i actually found a really cool uh switcher on um mauser that is a uh 12 volt switcher um the power uh sorry the part number is vx zero seven eight 012-1000 and it has pretty good efficiency um and it will do what's pretty good uh with with enough current it'll be in the 90s oh, okay yeah that's what always gets me when you like read like description of parts that are totally written by salespeople, not engineers they're like this is a fast whatever it is yeah it's like fast yeah. relative what <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. And so the, the the cool thing about this switcher is it, it it's just a three-pin guy. So it just basically drops in like a linear regulator. It has in, out, and ground. Oh, okay. Uh, and in singles, it's only $2.70, which, you know, that's way more expensive than a, a linear regulator. But it'll do a full amp at 12 volts with 90% efficiency. Uh, so there we go. There's the solution. I don't have to burn yeah. up a boatload of heat and i've got a little switcher and it's it's a small enough package uh, it actually stands vertically off the board it doesn't uh lay down on the board i think you know i think i know what you're talking about i've seen those before yeah it's super nice so it's non-isolated but i don't care i don't need an isolated um switcher in this case yeah yeah, yeah. so and you didn't have to design a switcher yeah i started by doing that and and you know if if you're in the situation that I was in where I was hoping to go linear regulator, then you have to design a switcher. It's kind of a pain in the ass because then you're like, oh, my God, there, there's like five trillion options for, you know, buck regulators and things. And then you have to go and do all the calculations on whatever data sheet you find stuff. And that's that's fine and all. But I just I didn't want to do that. And then I found this package or this part. And I was just like, great, done. <laughs> Here it all is. <laughs> well, there's something to say about that. So, yeah. Yeah, and and for the situation that I'm doing, where I'm just purely having that 12 volt rail supply relays and LEDs, it's perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, for two dollars and seventy cents, that sure as hell beats the uh, the labor I would have to put into designing a new switcher. Half a day to half a day of routing, at least. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and selecting the right inductors and capacitors and crap to make sure that it all works, so much easier. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, so let's go on to the RFO. Yep. This is yours. This is a Maxim is getting a Maxim IC is getting into the MCU game, microcontroller game, right? Yeah, yeah. And you know, uh, it's funny. My uh, I walk into work today, and and um, my boss tells me uh, or asks me if I knew if Maxim 
was uh, in the MCU game. And I was like, I, I don't know about that. And he's like, I got an email about it saying that they are. I was like, send it over. That's an RFO. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, I didn't I didn't know that Maxim was, was getting into MCUs. Um, and apparently, if you go to their website, it, it looks like they did a few months ago. Um, and they're just, they're doing marketing stuff now for it. Um, gotcha. But we've talked about Maxim a handful of times in the past. And uh, both of us have, have stated that, you know, we, we like their offerings um, because they offer a lot of different features and a lot of really cool applications for their, for their stuff. The problem is buying them. Yeah. <laughs> right. The pro- yes. Yeah. It's- you find Maxim is the, you find the golden goose of an IC that is impossible to buy. It, yeah, right. It does exactly what you need. It's that one weird one that has a bagel pin or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Like they are the bagel pin <laughs> of the IC world. Yeah, I, I'm using a Max Ma, Maxim chip on the uh, uh, thermistor board. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I used um, I used two or three of them on that um, on that first synth that I made uh, on the Met project kind of thing. I, I used some of their. I think they were the. A to D's? I can't remember. E- either A to D's or D to A's. Um, they were they were inexpensive and they they had really good characteristics. Yeah. So the, this MCU is the Max thirty two six five two, and the nickname for it is called the Darwin. Yeah. I, I you know I was discussing that at work today. Like that seems kind of odd. It, yeah. it seems like they're really trying to get into like that like a goofy. Uh, like the naming convention, like the Edison and 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 the Beagle Bone and and that kind of stuff, where they have to come up with some kind of like quirky name. Yeah, and especially because the tagline is a breed. <clears throat> Here we go. Uh, yeah. Darwin, a new breed of MCU built for evolving IoT. <laughs> they should just hire you. That's perfect. You know, before too long, we're going to start seeing like YouTube apps pop up where they stole that audio and <laughs> run that clip. Yeah, and run that clip. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, if that was me, I would just let them do it. I'd be like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it looks like they're, they're so they're putting together like what what appears to be an entire like genre of MCUs that are dedicated for IoT devices, but also wearables and portable medical devices is what they're saying. Yeah, and lots of peripherals like just in the chip they remind me a lot of efm8s is like efm8s have a crap load of really cool peripherals inside there and maxim is like doing the same thing it looks like except like maxim is known for their crazy peripherals yeah yeah and and you know i think i think if anything they are like the the feature creep of ic or of mcus you know like they let so many features like just silk into their stuff um which which is cool and and you know some of the stuff that's that's kind of neat is um one of these darwin chips actually has an internal i think it was 90 it was either 96 or 98 megahertz clock internal that you just don't even have to jack with uh so yeah they're really they're really kind of touting like lots of speed lots of power for low power in effect you know they don't have anything on cost yet at least i didn't look uh i you know i didn't spend too much time looking at it because uh, because one of the things i sort of wanted to mention about this is they're really driving home the iot kind of genre on this like all of the, like all over their website it's it's pasted with iot these things are meant for iot so clearly maxim believes that iot is big enough that they're willing to get into the mcu game for this it's not that they're making like general purpose mcus they're making flat out iot MCUs. yeah yeah, yeah. Well, uh which is which is you know that's that's interesting yeah and it's it's got a arm cortex on four core um and a it's interesting i've never seen this advertised but it says with fpu based like stuff in that core which is floating point units right so i guess like Basically, doing calculations on like sensor data is probably what they're aiming at that for. Yeah, like doing accelerometer stuff, doing three D, you know, what what's it called uh, telemetry. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's the right yeah, word. That's yeah, right. telemetry is what what they're doing with that. Right, so. right, right. And and you know the the thing that I I, I kind of find interesting is that they're. Uh, some of their marketing content, some of the videos that they have are kind of like cutesy and cartoony and, and like, it, it doesn't seem like it's 
geared towards like the really dry hardcore professional group it sounds more like they're gearing it towards somewhere in, in the middle however a lot of the the packages that they offer are like 140 pin wafer level chips which that does not fly with like the the hacker maker community that's because it's just difficult to deal with yeah so for the hacker it looks like they have this what's called their pico yep which is like a castellated board that you can put on your your product right yeah you can uh, which is their little dev board and they they you know they're talking about i think it's like uh 0.6 inches by one inch so it's it's small it has usb on it and it breaks out most of the pins onto the on the side and it handles all the um voltage conversion on the on on the dev board so uh so yeah they they, they kind of do have some offerings for all over the, the the spectrum there but like i said before one of the things they mentioned was like medical portable medical devices and wearables and things like that which that's sort of a little bit uh outside of the normal realm for the hacker maker community so they're spreading it pretty wide they're casting their net wide on that it's got a 63 pin um bga yeah so that that's sort of more intended for just buying the dev board and slapping it on whatever you know carrier board you design. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, though, is when you get their data sheet, I'm not seeing dimensions for this stuff. It just it shows the footprint with the pinout on it. It doesn't actually like. I wonder if you have to download a different data sheet for the. Hmm, maybe for the uh, dimensions. I was seeing like how small is this thing? Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's pretty cool. Um, it's it's always nice to see uh, Maxim, you know, break out and do more stuff just because, like, their list of features is, like, a mile long. It's probably going to cost, like, $8. <laughs> and there's going to be, like, four of them on the marketplace. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, okay. I, w- I wonder if that's because just Maxim is just, like, the... the uh, they must be at the will of like they probably don't own any fabs. I you know I have no idea. It, it, probably not. I wonder if they're fabless because Silicon Labs is fabless. They don't own a fab. You know? Do you know where they get their stuff manufactured? No idea either. I never looked into it. Hmm. If you're from Maxim, let us know in the comments below. Yeah, come on as a guest and talk about these product offerings. That'd be cool. Why can't we buy them? <laughs> <laughs> well, they are brand new. Uh, I shouldn't say brand new, but no, I, I'm just I'm just talking Maxim in general. Oh, you yeah. find the Golden Boy chip. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the next topic. Yeah. So um, this actually sort of has to do, uh, or it spawned from uh, my mute tracer uh, project. Uh, this is more of like a a question that we uh, posed up in our Slack channel, and uh, and some stuff that Parker and I've been talking about. So we're uh, revision control for hardware. In terms of uh, things, uh, you know, platforms such as GitHub, uh, we wanted to talk about revision control on on hardware projects that are complete, but also revision control on projects that are incomplete or projects that are in in process. Uh, so, one of the questions that we posed on the Slack channel was, if you have a board that you know you're working on, such as my Mutracer. Um, and you want to put that up on GitHub, do you wait until you're completely done with the board until version 1.0 is out and slap it up there and say, hey, here's you know version 1.0? Or do you put your progress along the way up on GitHub? Uh, and if you do, how do you handle that? And what's what's a good way of, of telling people, you know, hey, this is incomplete or this is what needs to be done left? So, yeah. So I was looking at the responses and they're very similar to what I do with GitHub. Oh, yeah? Um, basically is I, the first thing I do is I create a repository and after my first basically rough schematic, mm-hmm. I upload that. Okay. Uh, basically I just keep pushing it like probably every couple hours I'm working on it or like if I work on something at, after work, I'll push that, that night's work onto GitHub. Mm-hmm. And then when I finally order the boards, I click the revision button or not revision button the um commit no 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 there's, there's a certain button in github um i can't remember what it's called is it basically like Com- role of revision yeah it's a um a release that's it release oh, okay okay and so when you i consider a release when the, i'm going to make a physical thing now 
for this hardware. Right, but you click release before you've ever even had a physical object in your hand. Correct. Yeah, I'm like, I'm going to release this thing, and I am going. This is the basically the files I put in the release are like these are the manufacturer manufacturing files. Got you. That are going to to release. Um, if you download like the latest version of the repository, it's probably not what you want because that's a working copy. Mm-hmm. And so you go to the releases and see what's been made. And in the releases, you can put notes and stuff like that, like, this is the first version, blah, 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 or like, this didn't work, so don't use that release, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, but asterisks all over the place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when I do commits, I basically just say what I did in the commit. So I, I'm like, I worked on the switching power supply, and then in the notes for the commit, I'll, I can write more details, like, I added these parts, all this stuff. Um, I don't really do, like, a to-do Unless the schematic is really big and like I know I need this section, but I haven't done it yet, I'll actually like just draw a box on the schematic and then write in text of what's supposed to go in that box. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I, I actually do something similar with that where, um, say if I know, like, say if I ported um, one chunk of a schematic from a different schematic, like if I had a building block or something like that, but I know I need to change the footprints or something like that, I'll draw a big squ- uh, square over it in uh, in my CAD program, and I'll write text over it saying, like, you know, footprints must be changed or all values are wrong or, you know, something such that the next time I open up the schematic, I look at it and be like, okay, that's exactly what I have to do. So I'm sort of doing revision control from within my schematic, writing myself notes. In a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I do that too. Um, yeah. But I, I would highly recommend just using GitHub just to store stuff because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the worst thing is just losing progress on something. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially board design. Yeah, and, and, and so I like the idea of like you were saying, like either either periodically through your your workday, if you know you're going to be just hammering on a layout for hours on end or a schematic, um, or or doing it like say once at the end of the day or once at the end of the night, um, with with the list of changes, and I think that's the biggest thing is just instead of just committing, you you have to have the changes that you put up there, or or or, or putting it up there is sort of worthless. It means nothing at that point um and then in github is the main thing is the the, there's the readme markdowns which is a text file and basically i leave those kind of blank until i get kind of close to the end of the project so i know like the scope what the board's going to actually do and all that stuff and i start filling that i kind of have like my own template and i start filling that out Gotcha. Because the readme files are supposed to be like a like a mile high view for anyone who's like sniffing through GitHub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're supposed to be able to look at that and get an idea of what's going on. So. Going on, yeah. And and I, I tend to use that to use it as like instructions or what the board's used for and like go check out my blog for more information and stuff like that. Sure, yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's good. Um, you know, and, and one of the things um, we've we've kind of touched on this in the past but i've a a, some kind of system that would allow you to look at visibly look at changes between boards would just be incredible and we we've touched on that before in a previous podcast maybe with uh cadlab.io um i got I've, i've been playing around with that a bit and it's actually really cool to see uh my pinball controller uh throughout the years in that oh yeah 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 um and unfortunately that's only work it only works for github and it only works for eagle which which if you look at the majority of uh, projects on github that's eagle so that is eagle but it's i'm hoping they expand to like keycad and diptrace and altium as well yeah 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 and and technically you could do it with gerbers right uh, yeah, you technically do it with Gerber's. There's no reason not to. Right. The only thing that would suck about that is you would have to, every time you commit, you'd also have to commit your Gerbs. Gerber's at that time, or you'd have to, you'd have to do a bunch of manual extra processing. Which, which, I mean, that would make sense if you if you find an error and you're trying to backtrack, but you wouldn't want to do that every time. Jarrett in the Slack channel, he uh, show, he uses Upverter. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently it has a histogram feature, so you can basically undo or redo from, like, the beginning of your board's time. 
And so you can make he has he's made a couple crazy looking gifts um, of basically him routing the board out completely. Yeah, it's really it's uh, I'm actually watching the gif right now. It's it's really fun to watch uh like the decisions being made as it goes along cuz yeah, you yeah, see yeah, stuff yeah. go and then see stuff delete, you know. Like, yep. And that's how it always <laughs> we, is. Yeah, we always do that. I think I think I rerouted do. the the MEP SAO like four times or five times. And it's only 15 LEDs, right? And an MCU, yeah. Yeah. Just cuz I'm like, "Oh, I needed this uh, this trace to go in." Cuz the main thing with it the main thing with the SAO is there's no visible vias on it. Oh, that was a big thing for you. Yeah. You don't want to have any vias in those hamburgers. <laughs> no, no. Well, it's got through-hole connector. Yeah, yeah. And it's got holes for, like, the po- the pogo uh, or, uh, pogo pins to go through and, like, line up. But reg- besides that, there's no electrical vias. So, so you, you really tried hard to do a single-layer yeah, well, because what I did is all the LEDs are on top, and I went pad and via, <laughs> so the parts on top of it. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, or the uh, vias under LEDs, so can't see them. Cool. Yeah, I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Uh, Unless you have anything else you want to talk about with revision control for hardware, I guess. Uh, I guess the only thing that I have to talk about is is sometime this week, um, hopefully, maybe even tonight. I will. Uh, I will update or upload the uh, MuTracer layout that I have so far onto GitHub, um, and just because not many people use DipTrace, I'll probably upload images or the actual Gerber, the Gerbers of the current process. Uh, so if anyone wants to look at it, I'm going to try to do revision control on GitHub with the Mutracer starting from where I'm at now. Yeah, you should upload a PDF of the schematic. That's pretty popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will I will certainly do that. I, I, I've kind of got the schematic cleaned up. It's going to be in the... It's, it's going to be in your, your green, yellow... Oh, my Jamaican colors? Color combo. Yeah, Jamaican combo. Uh, yeah, in fact... So I do have color standards for uh, my my boards. Like ground is green. Like every trace on my schematic that is ground is green. And usually, like five volts is kind of like a pinkish purple, and twelve volts is almost always orange and stuff. So you see colors all over. And and I do almost all my schematics in in um, black background. Um, I don't do white back uh, background like eagle stuff. So. <laughs> Barker's shaking his head. <laughs> I just like I like the dark color scheme. Yeah. I do white for for schematics, and I do black for layouts. Yeah, I I, I'm, I just do black across the board, so it's just a dip trace thing, I guess. You one of those hardware hackers, man. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I am working on these boards most of the time late at night, so it 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 does. It's nice to not have a giant white screen in front of you. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Okay. Well, that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dolman. Take it easy. Later, everyone. Thank you. Yes, you are a listener for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, or unique way you do version control on your hardware, let Steven and I know. Uh, email us at podcast at macrofab.com or tweet us at macrofab. Also, check out our Slack channel. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest map episode right when it releases. And please review us wherever you listen as it helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us.